0: Brilliant, that was such a good fucking goddamn eff- god damn it. Oh, I love that. And I've never, I've never looked at it that way. <laughs> Ever, like a complete 180. I would like a man to take you on a strange
1: journey.
0: Don't mind me. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of on World, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. Today I'm being joined by the one and only Jesse of I Dream of Jesse. How are you, my dear?
1: Doing wonderful.
0: Sweet. Oh, I'm so excited! I'm so excited. It is October 4th, and we have a great show for you this week. However, this must be one of my most favorite of months. For obvious reasons, at the end it's Halloween. Love me some Halloween. Do you uh do you enjoy the Halloween time? I I do. I, I enjoy all seasons, but yeah yeah. This is this is fun. Do you get trick or treaters out in your remote uh, remote desolate uh, oh. island? of <laughs> 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 yeah, they'd be working for those snacks. They really would. <laughs> you better give them the full size. Uh, they don't want no fam or or uh, what is that? Fun size? Nothing. It's got to be full size if they're going out to your str- neck of the woods. <laughs> Yeah. No, uh, I'm stoked. We started decorating and everything and it is uh, it's gotten me into the complete horror movie every day, you know, planning what we're going to wear. You know, as soon as all of the uh, vacant warehouses around town start filling up with the Halloween stores, then I know it is time to start planning our our October. It's it's. It just fills me with such excitement but um so that's what we've been doing all i was on vacation this whole past week and so this whole past week we've been doing nothing but uh sort of steeping ourselves in halloween to come and uh i'm so goddamn excited i just i I, I love it it's compounded because my kids love it and they get really excited to dress up and planning what they're going to do and how they're going to look. And my son's like, he's been, he's been, he's going to be an evil clown this year. And so he's been practicing his, (laughs) like how he's going to scare people with his laugh and his body movements. And uh,
2: it's great. great. (laughs) (laughs) So excited.
0: So excited. Um, anyway, we do have a wonderful show for you this week. Let's run down the show notes quickly here. We have a nine cents letters. This is about a month old that i got this and i tried to get this young lady on with us jesse but she's busy on sundays so i can't fault her that and i was on vacation so i did not want to pre-record shit so we're just gonna have to deal with this on our own uh, essentially it's around women and the workplace and i couldn't think of anyone better than you to address this because uh you're a woman i don't know if you know this uh, what Je- Jessie is a woman and she has a workplace so, so wow well you learn something new every single day uh, we've got another something different with Heather Height, episode 15 unfinished procrastination uh, of course I Dream of Jessie episode 30 what's this one called trick or treat god oh, perfect how oh, perfect <laughs> wow it's almost like we planned stuff like this um, <laughs> Then we're gonna close it out we're gonna end it with uh Saving the best for last, Between the Horns, Episode 8, The Devil in Vaudeville. And of course, if you've ever turned into, er, I'm sorry, turned, tuned. Oh, hey, we are turning into, this is Halloween. I can't even get shit out. Um, if you've I ever I thought you were gonna in, say, if
1: you've ever turned into a pumpkin. I thought that's you, where,
0: I really thought that's where you were going. If you've ever turned into a pumpkin, uh, you will know that it is this really awkward moment when someone tries to shove their fist in you and DC'd you um it hurts for a little bit but then it kind of feels good but awkward nonetheless no um devil and vaudeville uh, between the horns is always fantastic and if you've ever turned into this segment you're gonna know uh lots of lots of really good stuff coming out of this so look forward to it um i don't know if uh, those listeners have all checked in on the latest um get to know the voices of nine cents but it was actually warlock mandrake between the horns guy that i sat down with uh, live on camera so that is still available if you guys want to check out the youtube channel uh, and look for the get to know series uh, okay and that's going to be it for the show We've got a couple show notes before we go on every halloween episode every every episode that lands on the week of halloween uh, for the past three years i think or maybe four years has been a greater magic Episode, and this time you know, we've covered uh, what it's like to, if as a man, what it's like as a woman, um, constructing your own. Uh, I don't know, we've, we've pretty much covered every angle of greater magic. So, this time, I'm actually gonna do successes of greater magic and i'm actually not only reaching out to the contributors of nine cents of course to help me with this segment but also to you the listeners now for those of you who do practice greater magic we know that it is of utmost importance to recognize successes when they come around and uh maybe i don't know if it ever happens for you but maybe learn from uh you know um uh, Failures that perceived failures, we'll call them. Uh, So I would like to devote an entire episode to nothing but recognition of greater magic success. You don't have to get crazy specific, but if you want to be a part of it, I will pre-record it with you, or you can just send us a little note. For those of you who have already sent me um, uh, information to uh, info at 9 com, I'm going to be reaching out to you to see if you want to record it with me on the line. But yeah, that's going to be the entirety of this episode, so I'm calling out to every listener if you want to participate in this, if you want to share your greater magic success or maybe potential uh, apparent failure. shoot shoot me a line, info9centspodcast.com, and I will do everything I can to get you on, and we'll talk about it, and uh, we will share your stories, and we will recognize those successes for what they are. Uh, For those of you who do practice greater magic, it is an amazing tool, and for those of you who have not, uh, give it a show, give it a shot, give it a go, see what it's like, try it on for size. It may not be for you, but uh, how would you know until you try? Um, have you uh, have you uh, done a little greater uh, magic before there, Jesse? I have. All right. Well, if you're open to it, I would really like to have you contribute to this. You don't have to answer now if you don't want to, but
1: you know. Well, well, let me ask a question. <gasps> Perhaps that other people listening might think the same question. Okay. So, are you looking for here was my goal? Here was the outcome. Are you looking for here is the things that I did in the ritual, the smells, the
0: tastes, whatever. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. What am I looking for? So I I guess um, because everyone is so dramatically different in their approach to greater magic, uh, I would say ultimately it's about successes. So, you know, m- maybe you just share the, the story, the anecdote of, you know, I, I was in just lusting after this individual who is way out of my league. Uh, I decided to take it to the ritual chamber and just, you know, walk through uh, a little bit of what you did. So if if it deviates from the standard ritual, I definitely would like to hear notes on that. You know, maybe you used a specific uh, magazine photo or maybe you put a picture on a doll or, you know, however you put it together. If it was different than the standard ritual and then um... what it was like for you for that through that process did it turn out the way you wanted it to B- better worse you know what was the experience like uh, i'm really looking for first-person Perspectives of the experience and the success, or um, maybe the lack of success, and what you think was the cause, and you know what pushed it over the edge for you was it the all the intense energy that you put into it, or uh, your lack of focus. Maybe there was someone he- trimming their hedges out outside your window when you were trying to do it, and it threw you off your game. Um, if now you're married, or, or you're you know engaged in a wonderful uh, S and M relationship. Uh, you know, just let us know. It's that type of stuff. Does that clear it up at all? Yes, it does. Cool. What I don't want is a step-by-step. Step, uh, I rang the bell, and then I um, turned in a circle, calling uh, the, the four crown princes of hell. And um, I, I know greater magic worked, and I jerked off. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I Unless know. you're hot. If you're hot. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, of course. That's what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so make it personal. That's what this is all about. And and the point of this is, is not only because obviously we want to celebrate our successes and maybe learn something in the process, but... Everyone else listening is going to be able to hear your individual take on it. And of course, anonymity is important to virtually everyone that I know. So you won't have to out yourself on who you are. You know, you can use a pseudonym if you even want to identify yourself at all. Otherwise, you can just keep it completely vague. You know, I did this, no one knows who I is. Um, it it's meant to inform and educate. And really, that's all nine sense is in a nutshell. So Take it in that light, and hopefully we can get some uh, really interesting. I, I've gotten a few already that are pretty interesting, but uh, hopefully I can get a, a few interesting uh, other ones. And honestly, you know these. These Greater Magic episodes are some of the most widely received episodes, uh, meaning the most people tune in because there is always interest in it. There's always uh, people reaching out and asking for advice or tips or letting me know how much they love and they've listened to this last Greater Magic episode eight times. You know, there's always something that draws them about Greater Magic. This is your chance to be a part of history and, uh, you know, we're not gonna be around forever, but these episodes probably are. Uh, in one form or another so it's going to be fun uh, other notes, quickly, let me think here. Um, I. Oh, yeah, okay, so for those of you who follow me on my uh, home brewing blog, Wort Nation, know that I had already released the first episode of my pumpkin ale. Well, I just edited and finished, uh, released the second episode about brewing the pumpkin ale. And then um, I released a sort of a secondary sidebar of me making my homemade pumpkin pie. So a little, uh, you know, recipe, this is how I make it type thing. So. If you're interested in that type of stuff it's out there Wartnation.com will get you there and uh yeah let me know what you think if you do uh, check them out uh again i was on vacation this last week and there was so much packed in i'm not gonna be able to touch on everything that i really kind of want to talk about but i will say this um th- this is sort of our second vacation for the year and it means that we don't go anywhere. <laughs> it's like a stay at home, relaxing vacation type thing. Um, there's nothing better than being able, and this is going to sound really bad. There's nothing better than being able to hang out with my wife without my kids. <laughs> it's just, I forget evil, what it's evil like. Evil man. <laughs> How you you dare must you? hate your children. You
3: must be They're the worst father. The
0: planet. <laughs> But you do feel that way like you as a parent you genuinely feel so so guilty about not being wanting to be around your kids all the time Um, Like it's expected or something, but being able to spend time just with my wife is it's so nice Awkward at first like we were having breakfast across from each other at the table without anyone else in the house The kids are in school and just sort of staring like uh who are you again <laughs> i forgot what uh what do we do now i don't know what it's you know it, it's just as weird i imagine it's like I don't, I don't know i before we had we you know we were married for a couple years actually before we had our first kid uh, and i it was weirder than that. I don't know. I don't remember it being weird at all. But it was weird the first couple days on vacation alone with the wife. But you know, it's it's just one of those things where you remember why you love this person. Spending time with them, you remember what it is that sort of lit that fire under you that pushed you to to ask them to marry you. And it was it's been really really cool. But as good as any vacation is, I'm one of those people that. I'm, I'm done <laughs> I gotta get back to work this is killing me I can't just st- st- you know whether I'm I'm at an amusement park or I'm fishing in the Uintas or what I'm done I've got to get back to work are you like that too Jesse when you ever take vacations and you're just ready to stop them
1: no <laughs> <laughs> but then I don't have a job I love you know so
0: Oh. No. oh really you don't like it you don't enjoy it
1: it's not that I don't enjoy it, but I don't love it.
0: Hmm. I got you. Big right. difference. Yeah. Well, we're going to be talking about jobs here shortly, so how about we just, uh, just segue immediately into that, Nine Cents Letters.
1: Alrighty. Cool.
0: Though I am an active member, I do not speak for the Church of Saint. I was hoping for your take on something that I have been poring over for a couple months now, inspired to ask by Heather's last segment. segment. How do you think a successful witch can work in a male-dominated industry? Many argue women have a very hard time getting their foot in the door because of discrimination and favoritism in male-dominated industries. how I wonder how a smart woman could not use the male majority to her advantage since well men usually like pretty ladies uh, she's 18 in her second year of college she's studying for a male dominated field of work and uh, the school is currently 90 percent male um, based off of her uh, her experience she's unsure how the professional words work fa- workplace will function and it, i love this And if her vagina will help or hinder her <laughs> so <laughs> that, it's always worked for me <laughs> um since it's been uh presented to me that women have a hard time in male-centered industries uh she was hoping that us old codgers and i'm not sure if i like that could shed some light and share experiences and then she uh, sent a little follow-up on that um Uh, she's going to be ending college soon and wondered if her pretty female uh, personality is going to be a plus for her uh, in the workforce or if it's possible to age gracefully in a male-dominated industry. And uh, I want to make sure that I mention this because I'm not sure if I did but it's programming video games is the industry she's going into. So, Jesse, what do you think?
1: Well... I could sum it all up saying, you got this, don't worry, but that would really probably annoy the hell out of her, because I know when I'm worried, somebody telling me, you got this, don't worry, does not help. Um,
0: you got but, this.
1: <laughs> it's, so, it's so much comes down to attitude, and the fact that she's got this attitude, like, well, she seems to be saying, I mean, tell me if you you hear it differently, but she seems to be saying, like, wow, this is so easy. It must get harder, right? This, this must become a, a problem at some point, right? I, I'm just waiting for that to happen. And, and what do I do when it happens? And it doesn't happen. You've got the attitude. You've got the attitude that says the things that other women consider a disadvantage i'm going to think of as an advantage and just by thinking of them that way you're going to recognize all the times they're working for you it's just going to reinforce it and you're going to be fine you got this girl <laughs> <laughs>
3: all
1: right so so but that said um one thing i, I mean how do how to succeed in a male dominated field there's going to be as many ways to do this as there are women who do it. Mm-hmm. So I can tell you what I would do. And all I can say is, you know, if I say it and you're hearing it and it just doesn't feel right, then throw it out the window and, and go your own way. Cause that will be better than anything I can come up with for you anyway. The, but if it helps what I would do. So you're a young, attractive woman. Um, adam didn't read the part of it but you've got this you know you're involved in kind of a kink thing on the side and that's Mm got to be aiding your whole sexual confidence so when you walk into that office you're gonna be just it's it's gonna be like coming off of you like a scent i mean you're gonna be turning heads people are gonna sense the confidence you've already got all that working for you you mentioned at one point sexy makeup and I'm not sure what the sexy makeup meant but what I would do if I were in your shoes is I would actually dress very modestly uh, tone down the makeup if, if that needs to happen and just be very professional and the reason I would do that is you're already gonna be turning heads there's absolutely nothing you need to do to make that happen but either they're going to be turning their heads to look at someone who they take to be a bit of an attention whore in which case they're going to think they're doing you a favor by checking you out or they're going to be turning their heads to somebody who might seem like they don't want the attention and is just trying to do a job in which case there's a little bit of guilt on their part and the whole law of the forbidden comes into play and you can really make that work to your advantage, because you can you can totally. I'm talking skirts down below the knees, a real high neckline, a hair in a bun if you want, minimal makeup, and they're they're gonna look anyway, and they're gonna feel a little bit guilty about looking. So this is gonna be so easy for you. But that's that's the third thing I wanted to talk about is this is going to be really easy for you and the whole thing about the the kink thing on the side you mentioned that you know younger women are in demand so that's really easy for you you're basically you're a big fish in two different small ponds at this point and while that's great and it makes life easy and you can focus on other things you do need to take the initiative to focus on other things and whether that's building up some skill sets or if you want try to find a third Pond you can throw yourself in where you're no longer the big fish. And whether that's working with children or working with uh, working in some area where your looks are actually a disadvantage. Like maybe you're working with women who are in their late 20s and early 30s and considering you the biggest competition there is and, and hating you for it. And you've got to learn to manage that. You really have an opportunity here to push yourself to do a little bit more because what you're doing now, both in the workplace and on the side and at school now, until you leave school, it's all coming a little bit too easy. And you really, you would benefit from pushing yourself into a situation where it's not going to be easy.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. Um, as, as a profession, and let's be clear about this. This is a professional industry. Um, video game programming, and it's not an easy one. I mean, I, I know personally some very talented uh, gentlemen who are trying to continuously work in this industry, and it's not easy, it, it's it's hugely in demand. You, you need, you cannot rely on your looks alone to be successful at all, you have to have something. And I would say in general, in life, that that is mandatory. As a, a witch, as a lesser magic practitioner, you need to be able to manipulate your looks for whatever it is you're going after, or whomever you're trying to manipulate. But there has to be substance on the other side of that in order to back it up. And in this case, in a very, very, um, a very uh, difficult industry to break into and then maintain a career in you're going to have to really be good at it. And I, I would actually also say, because of your looks, you're going to have to work harder um, because you're going to be taking, taken less seriously. This is an industry full of uh, guys. And there, Of course, there are a lot of women gamers, but there's less women programmers. This is an industry full of guys who have busted their ass and worked... As hard as they could in order to stay in it and actively be getting a paycheck by pumping out quality if you can't back that up your pretty face isn't gonna mean shit so make sure that and you know it would be different if the industry wasn't so uh, so so challenging to, to stay in and if the people that I know who have been trying to break into it and stay in it maybe they just suck and maybe it's really easy but just based on my personal experience of these people they 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 have great portfolios and and they just can't do it so you're going to have to you're going to have to be, be that super talented really cool chick in order to really use it uh, otherwise it i don't know i think it could just be in my opinion a, a liability on its face you know video gamers aren't exactly the most suave people <laughs> not the ones I've ever met and this is tough because my son's way into, like way fucking it he's so into it he watches other people play on YouTube which I don't understand at all but he like the girls that are successful on the YouTube um, games, I sound like such a fucking old dork um, they're, they're witty. They're smart. It's not just, you know, cute and clever because most of the time all you hear is their voices. You have to be fast on your feet. You have to be able to, you know, turn out a phrase. Of course, that's different than programming. I'm just saying that the, the video game industry is not like... You know, it's not like your traditional coding industry or uh, you know, advertising or anything like that. It's it's a whole different beast into itself. I mean, you're, you're allowed to be a little weirder on the edges, um, but you have to be able to back it up. You know, I mean, we're talking about coding, essentially. Uh, you have to be able to have that skill set and your looks will mean nothing unless you have that. Um, But yeah, I think I think uh, everything Jesse said is is spot on. You already, it sounds like, are acing the human interaction side of it. Use that experience. uh, But then, you know, back it up with something. Have have a skill set. That's the most important thing. And here's, you know, there's another side of this, too. You can be the worst person in the world but if you're good at your job, people will forgive you for it. It doesn't make sense. In, in contractual industries uh, like film, it's even more of a liability. But in general, people will put up with some shit if you're talented. You know, if, if you can, uh, like, cut that fat off, <laughs> the shit fat. This is sounding really weird. If you can just uh, be a good person in the, in the, uh, in the workplace and you're good god damn man people will and you're beautiful you will go as far as you want to go really
1: i i want to uh follow up actually with what adam said because let's say you get into it and you don't have the talent to cut it as a programmer but you at that point understand how video games are programmed you can speak the language you might find yourself with all your people skills being an excellent sales representative for a video game company.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's a really important thought to keep in mind too, for, for anyone doing anything, you may want to do something, uh, desperately bad in life and find that your desire, you're chasing that dream lead you in a whole different area. You have to be open to stuff like that in life And and seize opportunities when they approach themselves Jesse had a wonderful um, uh, um, Essay about this episode About this early on uh, uh, Seizing opportunities and, and stuff So I would go back if I were you guys And listen to those um, Backlog of the I Dream of Jessie's. Um They're all on the website And on her blog But uh, it it's really important To be able to you know, move on your feet in in your professional life. Um, For a quick example, I started purely design and I wanted to get into package design. Um, My first job was package design and so it was really nice. It's everything I wanted to do, but that started to wane and I realized I'm gonna have to get much more into web development if I want to, you know, remain desirable in the industry. And so I pushed into web design and uh, I ended up moving to where I am right now and and working very successfully there, but they needed someone that's a little bit more um, sound and video experienced. And so I started practicing that. And so you you have to be able to evolve if you want to live in a particular industry and you have to be able to grow your skill sets accordingly and become desirable to your employers. And if that means that you're now representing uh, professional talented coders rather than being one if that means that you're selling the games to um uh, you know larger companies from your uh, smaller uh, coding company you know you're representative for ea maybe and, and you're picking up new uh, games from different uh, smaller boutique agencies you know there's a lot of different ways that you could use your known skill sets uh that sounds like a dirty old man talking about boobs. <laughs> use your known skill sets, young lady. No, but, uh, you know, just use them in different ways. If, if this doesn't happen to work out, if it does work out, then fucking awesome. Be the best at it you can be and continuously grow those skill sets. But be able to be fluid. That is the most important thing in life. Cool. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on?
1: Uh, no, you dirty old man. Stop touching this lady. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs>
0: I'm sorry, I can't help it. Alright. Let's uh, take a short commercial break here and do a little something different with Heather Height.
3: Hey there, doll, Why don't you be a good girl and take a few clams and run on down over to the high Satanist and pick us up a couple of those sterling cellar bathomets everyone's been buzzing about?
2: I hear that the bees knees. I while you right, go ahead and take a gander at those LED wall plaques. From what I hear, that guy over there is hitting on all sixes. A real nifty fellow he is. Listen here. Don't go over to those sappy ragamuffin knockoffs. I'm with the real McCoy, you got me? So do the right thing, and now you're on the trailer, you hear? Remember, I this. that's I This I say. They're on the up and up. Now scram, get a wiggle on, kid, you bother me.
3: I have a problem with procrastination and I'm supposed to start the show and I'm not. So uh, this procrastination thing, whenever there's something I'm supposed to do, I'll do anything other than the one thing that I'm supposed to do. And then I feel bad about myself and then I get depressed and then I really don't get anything done because I'm depressed. And I told a friend of mine about this problem and she said, you should go to therapy. And I thought about it and I thought, well, wait a minute. Why should I pay a stranger to listen to me talk when I can get strangers to pay to listen to me talk? (laughs) So that's when I came up with the idea of touring, and I thought, now I have to write a show. So I thought, what do I want to say? What do I want to talk about? So I sat down at my desk, and I was staring at my desk, and I thought, wow, that's dusty. (laughs) I can't write with my desk all dusty like this. So I went downstairs to get a rag, and um, on the way downstairs, my kitten was on the stairway playing with a piece of dust or something, and... um, (laughs) And I went to uh, pet the cat, because they did the thing where they roll on their back and show you the belly, and you gotta reward that. You can't pass that up. So I sat down, I was petting the cat for about, I don't know, 45 minutes, something like that. And then I went downstairs, and by that time I'd forgotten why I went downstairs. And I was staring around trying to remember, and I thought, I should paint this room. I wonder what color this is. It looks like a white, but I'm sure there's some fancy name for it. All these people, what kind of job is that to come up with a name for paint colors? You know, all the different color whites, like eggshell or linen or lily or off, all the different ones, you know? <laughs> and then I thought maybe yellow, you know, canary or banana or smoker's teeth, you know, something that would be. I thought I've got it right. So, Maybe if I put music on, it'd be more inspiring, so I went over to the cabinet where I keep all my CDs. You should have seen that thing. Total disarray, just, oh, everything. Meatloaf was next to the cranberries, which I thought it'd be funny one night to organize it by food when I was drunk. Really, nothing else was in there except bread, and, um... (laughs) Just all kinds of weird, like the doors and the carpenters and nine-inch nails were together. (laughs) And that doesn't help anything. So um, I thought, I've got to organize this. I can't put this off. And so I'm sitting in the hundreds of CDs, and the phone rang, and it was a friend of mine. And I said, I can't talk. I'm writing. And so (laughs) she said, I can't believe you. You're so disciplined. I have such a problem with procrastination. And I said, well, we should go to lunch and talk about that. So... We went to lunch and we were talking about procrastination and the waitress overheard us. And she said, I have a problem with procrastination too. I said, really? Get my sandwich. And so, but that's when it hit me. That's what I should talk about. Procrastination. That's a problem everybody has. That's universal procrastination. And then I said, oh, who am I kidding? I'm never going to get around to writing about procrastination. And so my friend said, that's why I brought this videotape. If you watch this guy, he keeps you focused. He keeps you on track. You'll never procrastinate again. So about a week later, I'll pop in the tape. (laughs) I find that if you don't press play right away, something's on TV.
4: Hey, welcome to this week's Something Different with Heather Height on 9 Cents. So somehow... Freud convinced everyone that realizing where our neurotic bullshit comes from is an important step in Recovering from your neurotic bullshit But if societal trends are any indication knowing the origins of our hang-ups has been translated into a culture of triggered crybabies Regardless, I'm going to discuss one of my biggest personal sins procrastination every Sunday poor Adam has to wait and wonder Will Heather have a segment today? And every week, I say to myself, I really should write and record something different on Thursdays. I'm going to do that this week. Then I forget about it until I receive my weekly message from Adam. Will you have a segment this week? And I usually say, of course I am. I'm working on it now. Because I am. I'm a procrastinator, not a liar. Although... As an expert procrastinator, I have also become a master of self-deception. You have to lie to yourself a little bit if you're going to procrastinate properly. So, about two years ago, I watched this TEDx Talks Youth thing with this kid, Vic Nithy. This kid was the founder of three companies by the time he was 20 years old, and he's uh, you know—he's like a psychologist psychology major kid they fucking hate Vic Nithy he's got a really nice British accent and he's all proper and smart and shit you No, know, I mean I'm sure he's a very nice kid but I wouldn't want to have to hang out with Vic Nithy all the time because he'd be all like I'm so productive you should stop playing Farmville and I'd be like shut up Vic I'm trying to harvest I gotta win this week and you know but anyway according to Vic Nithy <laughs> The uh, issue is an argument between our prefrontal cortex and our amygdala, or our limbic system. I'm not Vic Nithy. I'm not as smart as he is. I'm I'm just using his words, and I'll use my words. It has to do with our thinky part of our brain, and our reacty part of our brain, and the part of our brain that wants to not have to do anything, so our thinky part of our brain is the one that's like oh we gotta get this f- fucking thing written for Adam then your amygdala is kind of reacts to pain like procrastinating has to do with avoiding pain and there's something painful about having to do something there's something that you're afraid of in regards to finishing something and oddly enough my thing that I'm afraid of is that I'm going to procrastinate. So it's just this really swirling spiral of nothing getting done in my life, a lot of the time. So you get like a little anxious because your amygdala is like seeing some kind of threat, and and your brain is weird as this is has no idea that there's a difference between this anxiety and like the anxiety of being attacked by a tiger or something everything that's wrong with us in this regard anyway has to do with back when we lived in caves if we ever did really live i don't know did we actually live in caves but when we when we had a lot of more a lot more predators and we weren't walking around with guns we developed this system that causes anxiety to protect us from pain or death or being something else's lunch and so still your amygdala senses this pain might be coming and produces anxiety and then your limbic system takes over because your frontal cortex shuts down and stops thinking because it has to worry about well, what's going on it's what amygdala it's there's some what's gonna get us and while those two are talking the limbic system says ah, i'm gonna play some candy crush now while you guys sort this out, and that'll make me feel calm. It's like we're in a cave, and we have to go out and get some food, but there's, like, a saber tooth tiger out there, and we're afraid of the saber-toothed tiger, so we stay in the cave, and we're starving. If that's the case, though, then why do we often get things done at the last minute. My husband also is awesome at getting things done at the last minute and and succeeding. We both do very well doing things at the very last possible moment that it could get done. But it's still, there's a lot of stress involved in that. I guess what happens is like the saber-toothed tiger is outside the cave and you got to get out of the cave, but you don't want to get eaten. And then like a bunch of prehistoric Bears come out of the back of the cave, and that's like the last-minute thing. And the bears are bigger than the. There's a family of them. There's a whole bunch of them. That's much scarier than the saber-toothed tiger. So like, the wrath of Adam comes out of the back of the cave, and that's much scarier than the fear. Of procrastinating that's making me procrastinate and then at the last minute I get it done but this doesn't eliminate Adam's fucking stress at all you know now there's a whole I recommend looking up Vic Nithy's TED talk or TEDx talk because he does give a lot of pointers about how to deal with procrastination but I always kind of zone out at that part because I am so addicted to doing everything at the last minute that I'm not ready for solutions yet, but this week, today is Thursday, and I am here, and I am recording this, so that's a step in the right direction, I think, so I'm making progress. That's a good thing, you know, until the next time, or the next thing that I have to freaking do. Like, I try to drink eight eight eight-ounce glasses of water a day, then I don't do it for some reason. I don't just get up and drink a cup of water, like, every hour, you know, you want to you're up for about eight hours or more, you know, and you wanna get it done before like seven o'clock so that you're not peeing every five minutes instead of sleeping. So I try I was like, all right, I'm gonna drink eight ounces of water every hour and then for some reason I don't I even like got an app on my phone once that would tell me to drink water Every hour and I'd have to hit a button to confirm that I had done so and I started lying To the app on my phone. That is what a failure at life. I can be <laughs> I would lie to an app that I downloaded myself to remind me to do something so basic as drink water it's a good thing that breathing isn't something that we do voluntarily because I'd be like I'll breathe later. I'm not really using the air right now. Anyway, this has been another segment of something different with Heather Height on 9 cents. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. I think anyway, I might, you know, as long as you're not going to give me any shit. Don't be acting all like you don't ever procrastinate. You know, this is about self-improvement. If you're perfect, And you never put anything off and you never do anything wrong. I do not want to hear from you because I've already got to put up with fucking Vic Nithy and his nonsense. I don't need another fucking, oh, I never do anything wrong. I never procrastinate. I founded three companies by the time I was 20. Kid in my face. Okay. So if you're perfect, don't even worry about it. I don't want your advice. If you want to brainstorm, if you also are a flawed human and you want to discuss procrastination and, and, and kind of brainstorming, you know, probably put off something so that we could sit down and talk about procrastinating together, then, then let's totally do that. I'm totally cool with that. But no perfect people, please. All right. See you next week. Hail Satan.
3: What I'm trying to say is, if you leave here tonight and you don't remember anything else that I said, leave here and remember this. Procrastinate now. Don't put it off. <laughs>
0: Jesse,
1: What do you want?
0: Well, first, Jesse, I'd I'd like you to address me as master. I I am your master, after all. Yeah,
1: yeah, sorry. Yes, master.
0: That's better. Now look, I've got guests coming over tonight, and I want you to entertain them.
1: What do I look like, a belly dancer?
0: i I assume that was part, I mean, the outfit, it kind of suggests. You may be used to dance.
1: Listen, the gin put me in the bottle. He forgot to add the preservatives. Now, the outfit may be wrinkle-free, but what in it ain't. You don't like it? Call the number on the bottle and complain. Last month, I talked about retirement planning, which touched on career choices. There was a lot that didn't make that episode, and I had thought to make a part two this month. But one idea I left out took a strange turn on me, and I would like, if I may, to take you on that strange journey. I was learning about skill specialization in the microcosm of Hollywood filmmaking in terms of microeconomics, you know, as you do, and was surprised (laughs) to find, if I'm remembering it right, three people in charge of various inanimate objects that would appear on the screen. One did strictly background objects, another did things an actor would interact with, like a a glass an actor might take a sip from, and a third did things an actor might have on him, like a badge or a pocket watch. And that's not to be confused with the person who does the costumes themselves. This really got me thinking about specialization versus generalization, and the balance between being so specialized you can command a price in your field, and being sufficiently generalized that you can find jobs without being limited to too specialized a field. So I'm listening to this and I'm worrying over the fact that my current role is way generalized and therefore safe for finding new work but lacking in its ability to command a high salary. And that's when it occurred to me that this difficulty of finding the perfect balance between specialization and generalization is, of course, a first world privileged problem to have. Oh, woe is me, worrying over my career while others are just trying to put food in their belly. I don't want to get so caught up that I forget past orthodoxies, and so it was with great pleasure that I came across author Rachel Loudon and her work charting the change from generalized self-sufficiency of the masses to specialization of masses, all through the history of food. You would not have to go all that many generations back to find most people being generalists. Hunters and gatherers are general, generalists. Men working fields and women grinding wheat, churning butter, cooking and cleaning, all generalists. And most of what they did was aimed at putting food in bellies. A change we keep seeing over and over through hum, human history, beginning with farming, then agriculture, then industrialization, then information technology, a change we keep seeing is to make it easier and easier to put food in bellies. Look, fewer and fewer human beings are needed to feed more and more human beings. As a result, all those non-farming people can become specialists. Mass-produced food allowed, allows masses of people to build microchips, write apps, do science, think, and expand our understanding of the world. The more people doing anything, let's say writing apps, the more people writing apps, the better the apps get because the best app wins. Competition drives up quality. The less people farming, the more people there are to think about farming and develop better tools and methods for farming, which leads to needing fewer people to do the farming and more people to think about farming. Do you see how progress begets progress? And if all you're doing is working out the most efficient way to turn wheat into flour, and you're one of thousands working on this one problem, Ideas will build upon each other, and a really efficient way of making flour will emerge. Whatever your feelings on GMO crops, I believe they were inevitable. As more and more people became available to do science rather than put food in bellies, science becomes more specialized and knowledge grows, and with more and more people having the time to consider the problem of how to feed the world, a scientific approach was bound to happen. The way to improve technology, science, entertainment, or any other human endeavor is to involve more people in it, and thus introduce more ideas and more competition between ideas. Our world is now full of specialists, but it's all too easy to forget that not that many generations ago, our ancestors ancestors were too busy being generalists, held by held back by the everyday chores of hunting and farming and putting food in bellies. Here's a quick quiz. Consider the following choices. Would you rather eat a steak you picked up from the local butcher and grilled yourself perhaps seasoned with a bit of garlic and rosemary grown in your backyard, served with fe- fresh-baked bread cooked in your own oven so the whole house fills with that rich aroma. and perhaps served with a salad of more vegetables from your own garden. Would you rather have that home-cooked meal, or would you rather go sit in a McDonald's and wolf down a Big Mac and fries? Answer honestly now. Undefiled wisdom demands it. <laughs> okay, pencils down. A Big Mac and fries is comprised of beef you did not need to raise or slaughter, bread made from wheat you did not grow, reap, store, husk, shear, grind, knead, or bake, cheese you did not need to milk, churn, or age, cucumbers you did not need to pickle, sauce you did not prepare, vegetables that aren't even in season anymore, potatoes fried in fat you didn't collect, and covered in salt. Salt! Hey, you live near a salt mine? Me neither. You're eating spices imported from some other part of the world, and you're eating this in a presumably clean and well-lit environment where people are serving you and cleaning up after you. This is the eating experience of the not-so-distant aristocracy. So did you choose the Big Mac and fries, or did you choose manual labor? If you chose the home-cooked meal, you're basically saying, to hell with this aristocratic eating experience. I want to live more like a peasant. (laughs) Human ingenuity, (laughs) human ingenuity, by lifting ever more people out of the poverty of working all day to put food in bellies, has created a world where everyone can eat like the aristocracy, and thus unwittingly created a need for new means of stratification. And damn it, we will have our status symbols, even if it means spending ever more time in our day just putting food in bellies. We Satanists will garden and hunt and raise and slaughter farm animals, or we'll go vegan or organic, or buy local or cook slow. There is a beautiful irony to the fact that mass produced processed foods that allow the masses to eat like aristocrats cost less than the more effortful foodstuffs sold to people who insist on living more like peasants so they can evoke a sense of stratification. Please don't think me condescending. I find this fascinating. (laughs) We're taking a step back, all of us who do these things. And the only human drive I can think of that could be behind it is the need for stratification. Not all religions talk about it, but all humans feel it. Not just humans, either. Many animals establish pecking orders. The aristocratic eating experience of McDonald's is ubiquitous. The more peasant-like eating experience of, insert your particular food kink here, requires more skill, costs more money, and takes more time. You have to be somewhat well-off, educated, and clever to live more like a peasant than the masses. And so, in a sense, it is a status symbol. But here's another thought to ponder. Do you think marketers and advertisers understand our need for stratification and love the fact that they can charge us more to do the things ourselves that we would have to pay than we would have to pay for someone else to do them for us? And just a thought. But I don't want to end this segment on a pro Big Mac message, although that would truly be satanic. <laughs> Instead, I'm going to do something truly devious. I'm going to offer you an out an affirmation for your food kink. Feel free to use this at parties. It might sway people. It might even sway you. The history of Satanism, and more generally speaking, the left-hand path in occultism, is full of earth-based magic, spells involving plants and, unfortunately, animals. Often esoteric knowledge comes into play, some of that heavily based on science. What those of us who resist the ease and plenty, plenty of fast foods do is entirely in keeping with this satanic tradition. The potion is not far removed from the modern cocktail, and many Mexicologists fall into the from-scratch food kink. The way to a man's heart is through his stomach, and while any girl can buy him a Big Mac, not many can cook venison. I have yet to find a fragrance more universally appealing than that of baking bread in an oven. Survival is the highest law, and certain restrictive diets can aid longevity. And perhaps the most satanic element of all the food kinks is the sheer act of creating something. We create things because doing so brings us joy. That creation could be a pig farm, an herb garden, a kitchen and pantry full full and free from any animal products. It could be home-brewed beer, a secret recipe, or a reputation for hosting the best dinner parties. For the Satanist, it isn't just about putting food in bellies, it's about self-expression. The whole dilemma of how much to specialize, how much to generalize, is a happy problem to have during a harvest season in the Northern Hemisphere, in a world currently experiencing abundance. To those who are self-directed, happy indulgences. To those who allow their most basic human needs to be exploited by others, happy shopping. <laughs>
0: <laughs> damn so good so good uh, I I'd never really had this happen to me before but like listening to uh, your delivery uh, near the end uh, of this segment I was like getting like a little cloudy I was like I love this so much this makes me feel so good um it is it, like I remember uh, this was maybe two years ago or so um, I I And maybe people hate me harping on it so much, but I consistently sort of rail on the idea of if you aren't growing something, you really should. And, you know, and how I I like gardening and stuff. Um, I had someone reach out and say, I'd never thought of gardening before. You had mentioned it. Um, I always thought of it as like a girl thing. And that just that little I've always thought of it as like a girl thing bugged the hell out of me like i i could not get my head around how someone could think of gardening as a girl thing and not rather a primal human experience <laughs> like <laughs> the sole reason why we had crawled out of the cave and were able to live in societies is because we learned agriculture like we learned to manipulate the earth that that's it and it wasn't just a girl thing. It was a guy thing, too. I just think about pre-industrial revolution. Men worked the fields. Women worked the home. It, it, it was a, a constant union. Um, I do love this idea that um, you, you, uh, you were sharing how... Living as the uh, aristocracy is now like the uh, the cheap and fast and, and sort of less desirable way. I mean, as you were describing that steak dinner and the smell of fresh baked bread, it just like flooded my senses. Like, I, you took me there. And, and then you mentioned McDonald's. I was like, whoa, it was like record scratch. Like, oh, how could you go from that to that? Just. Oh. It was really great. You you, you spun this uh, this image in my head. Uh, I'm sure everyone else listening to, but it, it does make you think because sometimes that convenience is really nice. Uh, other times there is something so damn magical about doing it yourself. Um, I, I just obviously I'm gonna bring it back to me quickly before I end this um, stupid uh, self-centered rant, but. It, it's the whole reason I do this, you know, little Wart Nation thing with the making my own homemade pumpkin pie and the homemade pumpkin beer from my garden and it's because of that you're, you're you're a mad scientist. You are the old witch over the cauldron. You are in control of your environment and you are manipulating every single person around you that sees, smells, tastes, and hears about what you're doing. It is goddamned magic and so few people so few Satanists take advantage of it. I don't understand it. But um, beautiful. Just, I, I, I think that your, uh, your ending is going to draw many, many people to uh, trying it themselves um, beautifully. Well done. Well done, Jesse. Thank you. Can you let the good people listening know how they can learn a little bit more about you online?
1: I have a blog, which is Drafts for My Satanic Wind Bag wordpress.com i'm on facebook as jesse twain try to get there at least once a month um (laughs) and they can email me i check my email email far more often um and that's idojessie at gmail.com
0: hell yeah well definitely check out her blog and uh yeah if you uh, jesse's really wonderful that she gets back to you so if you do have questions or maybe you know you would like her to answer a question um Uh, on one of her segments I I don't know would you ever be open to suggestions like that oh hell yeah all right so there you go Uh, reach out to Jesse let her know what you think I mean how how do you think she's doing you know let her know whether or not this episode inspired you to make a dinner for yourself or for someone that you like spending time with or Uh, just go and
1: have a Big Mac
0: or if you pref- if you are the person that prefers to eat in the McDonald's I want to shoot you in the face <laughs> not really not
1: really but kind of I don't a bit. see I now have I <laughs> I wanted to today before doing this episode i wanted to go to mcdonald's and have a big mac and actually think (laughs) about this and and look at what's in it and look in the environment and saying this is this is fucking aristocracy living (laughs) i just ran out of time although i did have a hamburger (laughs) for dinner
0: (laughs) i gotta tell you and i'm super hypocritical here too um in this that when, when i have like a a Father son date or a father daughter date, um, sometimes they want to go to big and to McDonald's and that's what we do. Like that, we go see a movie or we go skating or we do something and then we end up in the super sterilized, uh, super generic (laughs) restaurant, and that's our special day. You know that's what they wanted. If
1: nothing else, I would hope that the next time you're in a McDonald's, you see it differently. You may yeah. not like it anymore. You may totally still do your nation thing and your home-cooked meals and your gardening, girly mm-hmm. gardening. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, just, I,
1: I just want people to, you know, think about our past, think about how far we've come and really think about people. It used to be all about starvation and having food in your belly. And now look at it. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's amazing, and I don't think we should forget how amazing that is.
0: Brilliant, I absolutely agree. Let's uh, let's do another short break here and do between the horns.
4: Did you ever want to sell your soul to the devil? Have all your wildest dreams become reality? Just sign and blood on the dotted line. Of course, not everyone can find the crossroads, so let me make it easy for you. Tune in every month to Nine Cents, and I'll bring you Down to the Crossroads. We'll discuss the blues, the devil, and everything in between. Down to the Crossroads with your host, Aaron Casavala. Every month, only on NineCentsPodcast.com.
2: Satanism demands study, not worship. And I'm looking for a few outstanding study partners. So put on your thinking horns with me, Warlock M.A. Mandrake. It's time to read Between the Horns. The title of this number is... The Devil in Vaudeville. Showbiz as Satanic Magic. One mild summer afternoon, I visited Spoonbill and Sugartown booksellers in Brooklyn. Perusing my favorite shelves... I espied a title of preciously rare, immediate, and personal resonance, American vaudeville as ritual. As a writer, cartoonist, musician, comedian, and Satanist, I found this an unusually promising resource for my studies, and I was not disappointed. Written by Albert F. McLean, Jr., a professor with a Harvard Ph.D. in American Civilization, this text was published in 1965, a year before Anton Xander Lavey founded the Church of Satan. Lavey gave ample credit to his influences, diabolically insightful predecessors, from whose works as well as his own life he distilled the principles of Satanism. Though I don't know whether Lavey was aware of this particular publication, I suspect it would have felt perfectly at home in his library. This highly readable academic work explores truly satanic principles within the context of American entertainment, focusing on vaudeville from the late 19th century to 1930, the year LeVay was born. American vaudeville as ritual refers to figures specifically mentioned in the Church of Satan's recommended reading lists, including Horatio Alger, Herbert Spencer, Jack London, and H.L. Mencken, Its vocabulary alone reflects a sincere grasp of the concepts and practices at the core of Satanism. Of course, this is not to suggest that the author is a Satanist. However, McLean, going against the academic grain, tapped into a magically carnal undercurrent, communicating its dynamics with remarkably sensitive wisdom. McLean states his overall thesis as follows. Myth itself consists of interrelated constellations of images and symbols that both singly and collectively express the unconscious assumptions upon which men base their functional attitudes and beliefs. Vaudeville, as became clear in the course of my investigations, stood in relation to the American dream of human progress and personal achievement as primitive ritual stood in relation to primitive myth. Already we find several satanic principles—meritocracy, self-realization, pragmatic engagement with philosophically resonant symbolism, and remembrance of past orthodoxies. These themes constitute the core of the book's content and its relevance to Satanism. They are reinforced later in the preface. There is, in this heterogeneous society, still a folk element which too seeks to evolve its usable myths— Only instead of linking these myths with the religious aspirations of the community, the new urban folk has drawn its symbols from the secular magic of its era, the very scientism which set out to dispel forever the prestige of myth. Vaudeville stands in the center of this secular myth-making and has been engaged in a process of real significance for modern society, a process which has gone largely unperceived, Because of inadequate perspectives and inattention to the nature and history of mass entertainment. Here, the text criticizes two satanic sins forgetfulness of past orthodoxies and lack of perspective. It also embraces the concept of secular magic, which is essential to the Satanists' practice of lesser magic and certain works of greater magic that would go unnoticed by most people as genuine sorcery. I was particularly struck by another, longer passage, rich with elements of satanic theory and practice. Committed to no particular tradition, capable of infinite variations and permutations, alien to all of the formalized modes by which educated persons communicate, the ritual of entertainment could absorb public sentiment and respond to it immediately. Ritual, as it has manifested itself throughout time, has been dynamic and effervescent, always evading the attempts of language to confine it. And within the heterogeneous society of the American city, composed of many peoples from many cultures, it was precisely this active, elusive form of expression which could be most effective. Vaudeville was Catholic in its tastes, hospitable to the most ambiguous and contradictory symbolisms, open to old myths, but also busy building new ones. Whereas the popular myths which served it were pointed and restrictive, symbolized through stereotyped characters and stories, vaudeville itself remained mobile and elusive as a form, capable of shifting in coloration and emphasis from one performance to the next. Through ritual, the process of myth-making could be sustained, the symbols could be tested, and the gestures varied. Until the right combinations evolved. Where do I begin? Apply these ideas to a more individualistic point of view, and the resonance is astounding. We Satanists, a cross cultural metatribe, freely borrow from seemingly incompatible sources of inspiration, blending them into idiosyncratic syntheses that fulfill an infinite variety of individualistic needs. Our magical workings, conducted both within the ritual chamber and through other evocations, are exercises in intellectual decompression, an aesthetically induced emotionalization that Levet suggested was all the more necessary for the intellectual. And while I would not say that we focus on stereotypes, we do revel in the powerful conceptual embodiments found in archetypes. Many Satanists have little or no interest in the traditional accoutrements of Satanic ceremony, and may find more inspiration in the creation or enjoyment of other sensory catalysts. That can include physical environments, works of literature, and even certain television programs. Indeed, the Satanist has the unique privilege of genuinely religious experiences that can appear thoroughly mundane to the average person, or even to another Satanist. McLean's mention of feeling out the right combinations brings to mind LaVey's essay The Combination Lock Principle, from The Devil's Notebook, in which he emphasizes the inimitable nature of one's personal system of sorcery. Prescribed methods can be a useful framework, but should be adapted even until they are unrecognizable to suit the Satanist's personal needs. Of course, that sometimes does mean following tradition down to the letter. However, in my experience, that is rarely the case among our kind. In the following passages, Maclean outlines the fundamental mechanisms of these evocations. Like most rituals, vaudeville combined without explanation or apology the means by which an audience could be lured, enthralled, and emotionally satisfied. Carolyn Caffin, I hope I'm pronouncing that properly, whose book Vaudeville appeared in nineteen fourteen, saw vaudeville as at its best creating an electrifying experience in which the performer evoked from the audience an answering vibration. Anyone present in the wings before curtain time could not help but feel the electric tension charging the atmosphere. This dynamic will be familiar to the satanic student of greater magic. The power of any ritual is in its ability to heighten the emotions, and thus expand the will, through custom-tailored, personally satisfying stimuli. For those not seeking to directly affect change outside of themselves, ritual is employed as a self-transformative psychodrama, to borrow a phrase from Magus Peter H. Gilmore. This can be achieved not only before a traditional altar, but also through means that may appear to be mere entertainment. The new folk were not just dreamers or escapists. If they wished relief from the give-and-take of city life, they also wanted the strength and motivation to face it once again. Of course, one need not feel overwhelmed by urban existence in order to benefit from this method, but greater magic through discriminating engagement with entertainment sure helps me to survive the daily grind in New York City and I'll admit that sometimes it's just plain helpful to wind down with an excellent sitcom. As for lesser magic, McLean offers this keen encapsulation. Sex, which in primitive thought often shared with the earth mystical powers of regeneration, but which within the Puritan consciousness had become linked with a shameful bestiality, was refurbished into glamour, a power accessible to even the most uneducated man or woman. Through glamour, as vaudeville-goers and newspaper readers well knew, one could acquire popularity, wealth, fame, and happiness. He continues with an insightful, if slightly utopian, take on the magical potential of modern indulgences. Even the machines, dynamos, trolley cars, and gramophones had invaded everyday life, creating wonderful new possibilities for pleasure. In the mythical view which saw all human society as moving toward a collective, euphoric future, the machines were indispensable talismans. As might be expected, the satanic nature of entertainment has not been lost on the religious establishment. In several passages, McLean directly addresses the tension between Christianity and vaudeville, which naturally tends to result in the triumph of instinctual delights over stifling dogma. Vanity Fair, as it was described from the pulpit, stood ready to lure Christian from his journey to salvation. The Protestant movement had gained its impetus from the rejection of pomp and ritual, and latter-day prophets could, without too much distortion, find in theatrical presentations just such an appeal to carnal, unregenerate man. Vaudeville in its formative stages spoke for a generalized conception of the good life, rather than for liberated fun-making. Happiness, however, within its ritual, was no longer an otherworldly reward for good works, nor was it the endowed privilege of a few saintly members of the community. Happiness was, the ritual implied, already blossoming within the cities and would soon spread beyond the palaces into the daily lives of men. To the immigrant the spiritual promise of his religion had been manifest in the hues, lines, and lights of the cathedrals, and when he came to the secular society of the United States he could not help seeing the symbolic promise, not for the life hereafter, but for the present life, in vaudeville palaces. By its proportions and decor, the vaudeville palace made easier the immigrant's translation from the rites of a ceremonial religion to the ritual of secular amusement. This last statement in particular reminds me of Levay's proclamation at the opening of the Satanic Bible. Since worship of fleshly things produces pleasure, there would then be a temple of glorious indulgence. In the concluding chapter of Maclean's book, one finds the author's most direct thoughts regarding vaudeville's inherent diabolism. Obviously, the vaudeville ritual denied the validity of certain basic Christian principles. Where Christianity sanctified poverty and turned men's eyes toward heavenly rewards, vaudeville extolled the gospel of wealth and sought happiness in immediate existence. Where Christianity marked man's place in history through a framework of revelations, the vaudeville myth knew no past nor future only the sensuous and climactic rhythm of its man-made, man-centered ritual. Salvation was no longer an arduous hike along a cruel path, but a willingness to open the senses to the brilliant wares that Vanity Fair had to offer. We often note that Satanism is the only religion that takes pride in its showbiz elements even though all religions are rooted in fetishistic theatricality. American vaudeville as ritual demonstrates this more clearly and thoroughly than I have seen anywhere else. It has certainly helped me to further recognize and articulate the principles of Satanism within the context of entertainment. Hey, I just did a book report. For fun. Until next time, this is Warlock M.A. Mandrake saying... Hail Satan!
0: And that's gonna do it for another show, people. We hope you enjoyed it and we would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9CentsPodcast.com, and send your correspondence to info at ninecensepodcast.com. Let us know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments that you might have. You can visit us in social media, Satan at Facebook, Google Plus, Twitter, MySpace, and get updated on weekly topics. And if there's ever a contest or you know something that we're trying to uh, let you know about, those are the ways, the best ways to to discover it as well. Download the show Mondays via the RSS feed found at nine podcast.com and we're also on last fm itunes stitcher youtube uh wherever you find us leave us a rating leave us a comment we really do appreciate it and if of course if you'd like to learn more about satanism uh check out church of satan.com and remember the only way we're going to continue doing this is if you continue to share it help spread the word about nine cents we really appreciate what you've done already once again thank you for joining me as always i'm your host adam campbell being joined by jesse i love my time with jesse and until next week, people, hail Satan.
1: Hail Satan.